Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within podcast. So, got a special one on today. I've got Jack Borcherding, who's actually the one who edits all of these podcasts, so... Um, I just recorded with uh, Adam Rock earlier who did all the editing from um, my linear. So I always like to say the guys that actually do the editing of everything I do probably know me better than anybody because they get to see all of the footage of me to when I don't think that the camera's rolling in the field or that I'm being recorded and so forth. So it's always always interesting to hear some of the stories that they have. How are you doing today, Jack? I'm doing well. It's a great day in western Nebraska, and the wind is blowing 25 miles an hour, you know, so it's perfect. It's actually light today, then. Yeah, it's a light breeze, like (laughs) you call it out here. That's awesome. So, Jack, I know you've actually, for a young guy, have been in the hunting industry a long time, and I say that as a compliment, right? How how did you originally get into the hunting industry? Man, getting into the the hunting industry was it was kind of an interesting one. So I went to college, um, I played football and got a scholarship to a small NAIA school. And now I I was very picky on where I went to school. Well, because if football didn't pan out, right. I wanted to be in a state that had big deer. Mm -hmm. So I went to those were, wait a second. So that, that, that was the prerequisite of Okay, so if the football thing doesn't work out here, I really need the solid backup to make sure that there's some big deer here. It, exactly. It, I, <laughs> as weird as it sounds, like when I when I originally started hunting and fishing and in the outdoors, like you know, I went fishing. Um, I my first like hunting experience was really being a bird dog for my dad in in southern Missouri, and you know that's when there was quail uh, everywhere. Not everywhere. We had to really find them, but. I was a bird dog and I went with him then and up until the point that I could hold a single shot, you know, seared shotgun. Uh Um, And so that was like kind of the very first, like 
hunting experience. Right. And so I did that for the longest time and, you know, it was, it was good. Um, you know, I just love being outdoors hunting and fishing. Well, when I started and got to the age that I could go hunting by myself was really when it propelled and I went bow hunting. Right. And so like I knew all the landowners around our property where I grew up, where my parents built their house. And like, I would just go and hunt like every, every time I could, as soon as season opened, I was out bow hunting. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that, that was the kind of kickoff. Well, you know, fast forward to, you know, college days and everything. So yeah, that was my prerequisite was I just loved deer hunting and loved bow hunting whitetails. And so I chose a state in Iowa. Right. Um, so I went to a small college there in Iowa and what people, and I tell a lot of people if they are big hunters is Iowa is a great state for that because while I was in college, right. If you reside on the campus that you're, you're attending, you are considered a resident of Iowa. Uh, so you could get, you could get tags in Iowa and because Iowa basically said you're i don't know you're you're not specifically a resident but you're considered a resident based on game and fish laws uh -huh. you could still be a dual resident of the state that you you know came from so i had dual residency basically in missouri and in iowa right and they still bordered each other and both have really big deer and so it was kind of like this well if I don't make the traveling team this week, uh, this weekend, I'm going hunting, you know, <laughs> so it was it was perfect from that. And when I went to school there, I went for television and broadcast and a company that was out of a town about 35, 45 minutes away from where I went to college in Oskaloosa, Iowa was Albia, Iowa. And the owner of a company there called Midwest Whitetail. Um, Bill Winky was trying to start up this business, right? This semi-live uh, type of business at the time. And he contacted our college because he knew that um, there was a broadcast emphasis class and program there. And um, I, at the time, was the only like hunter at that college that that they could get a hold of. Okay. And... So I became like their first like intern. So my like sophomore year of college, um, I kind of, you know, worked with my counselor to make my schedule to where I had almost a complete open third, uh, Tuesday and Thursday, right? So all my classes were packed on Monday, Wednesday and Friday, but like Tuesday and Thursday, I'd have like one or two classes. Mm -hmm. And so then after, um, after classes on Tuesday, Thursday, I drive down to Albia, Iowa, um, where they had like a, an editing suite and I would get tapes in the mail from pro staffers and I would go and log all that footage. This is back when we had, you know, mini DV tapes. I'm sure you're aware of those. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I would log all that footage and then I would edit a show, um, to go out the next week as fast as possible. So it was, uh, kind of my first crash course in um editing and you know pro staff management and like all kinds of different things to do with hunting and i did that for for one year there and then um you know i got into my junior year and really just had to concentrate on studies and graduating and <laughs> staying up to date there but yeah that was kind of the like 
very initial kickoff into the industry itself. Wow. All right. I love I love hearing everybody's stories of how they get into the into the industry, right? Like there's no two it's very rare that you have two stories that are the same. Like everybody knows that they that they love hunting. Like yours started with a love and passion for hunting and it kind of just domino affected to to get you into the industry. And then I mean just hard work gets you past that, right? Yeah, for sure. And also I have like oh what really got me into like filming was hunting. And it's kind of an interesting thing because like I, I would I would take our like uh, home camera right our uh-huh. little handy cam camera that our parents would buy for for just documenting all of the the holidays and the different family events and whatnot and I would I would kind of steal that pack up that bag you know when I was twelve and thirteen and go out and record anything that I saw in the woods mm-hmm. right when I was hunting because I wanted to share it with them right so it it really became this passion for like man i love deer hunting i love hunting i love outdoors but i also love sharing it with people because at that time right you could it was early on in um the growth of like hunting like i grew up watching you know tom miranda's uh outdoor adventures or something like that i forget what it was called exactly but like on only on saturday morning Mm -hmm. At seven o'clock after the NASCAR race or whatever it was, right? Yep. So it was just kind of like, man, he can share these experiences with the world. Like, why can't I share them with just my family and show them? And they really loved it and catapulted it. And like, so I knew like what I wanted to do at a very young age. And it, I don't know, it's it's awesome that I was able to do that. And there was a path for me, and I got connected with the right people. And it just, it just kind of the chips fell, fell in their places really early on. So like Midwest whitetail, like Mm -hmm. for, it's interesting. We probably got people that listen to the podcast of varying ages, right? Like some will probably remember it. Some are younger, some are older, right? And they didn't know, no, but like explain the, how Midwest whitetail got so popular. You know, gosh, well, the, the owner, Bill Winky, and yeah. I, I love Bill. He's like a great guy and just like this amazing, knowledgeable whitetail hunter, right? That was like all he did. And, and so I think there was this um, recognition of who he was, right, mm-hmm. in the industry as a writer, photographer, and just a big whitetail killer. So there's that. Then um, it really was the first... <sighs> I don't know, first brand or first like big attempt to bring what was happening in your area, your neck of the woods in the outdoors, in the hunting, deer hunting world and showing it to them in more of a real time fashion. Right. So they kind of coined the term semi live. And, you know, now it's a lot easier because social media had this huge growth to where it is now to where you can post something uh, a second after you filmed it. You can go live after you filmed it. Yep. Well, back then, early on, you you couldn't, right? So, and because the technology wasn't there, right? Well, as soon as the technology was there, it was kind of like, well, why aren't we sharing people and, and helping them, right? Educate them on what's happening in Iowa or the Great Plains or the Great Lakes area, how the weather's changing these deer patterns. And then 
show them really cool hunts mm-hmm. from people that they may know in their neck of the woods. And so it kind of had this, um, I don't know, like uh, it just hit on a bunch of different fronts, right? From education to um, interesting factor to just different cool people that you may knew know that shot big deer or just wanted to share their experience, yep. right? So yep. it it was it was really cool, and it was on a a website platform and so at that time like people had websites but it it was so tv dominated Mm -hmm. right you know you only saw it on the sportsman's channel or espn in the morning etc and so when he brought it to the website and you could go in there and interact with so much content at one time i think that's what really made it take off he was just on the cut he was on the cutting edge right like as a yes as everything was growing in the world of moving to that, he was on the cutting edge of doing it for hunting. Right. Just yep. a just a little bit of a visionary into like future, right? Yep. I mean, YouTube was big then, but like not nearly as big as it is now. Like people didn't have like hunting YouTube channels. They had a TV show and that was it. Yep. Right. And then yep. it, it's all changed and transitioned. And it's cool to see how those things have changed over the years. It is. It is like now even like you need to fix something. Well, you look up the mm-hmm. YouTube, look up the YouTube video and it'll sh- oh some, something on there to show you how to do it. Right. Or I, I don't know how to set this up correctly. Well, just, I mean, look up the YouTube video. Somebody set it up and, and shown you how to do it. Like the times have changed dramatically. Yeah. No, it's cool. No, while we're on the subject, cause we have uh, both linear and digital shows like, over the over your years, like how you've seen the shift, right, from eyeballs from linear to digital, mm-hmm. and like I look at it, it's a continuing for what for what we do because it's what we do is not live, right? Like every time you're in the field, like I, it's not a live linear show, and mm-hmm. like I think about me, what do I watch traditional linear TV for? Live sports, live yeah. news. Right. Yep. Those are the, those are the two things, because just about everywhere else you can get it when you want it. Like sports are the right. only thing. Like I can't watch Monday Night Football live any other time besides when it's playing. Right. But if I want to look up a TV show, I'm gonna have it fit my schedule. Mm-hmm. Which is which is right. like if I break it down, super simple. Like why why is linear TV like in the hunting industry going away? Because you can watch all that content, but you can watch it when you want it on a digital platform. Right. Like, right. And it's like, when I got in, this is uh, my 10th year of filming TV shows. So in 2013, linear TV was still the way to go because everybody talked about digital. Like I still remember like my first four years going to all the shows, right? Everybody, mm-hmm. everybody would, you know, I was trying to, to pitch partners and all this stuff and everybody say, I'm moving to digital. Nobody knew what that meant. Right. But you always <laughs> said it. like, I'm going digital. And then somebody would be like, what's that mean? I don't know. Yeah. I'm going to put it on YouTube, which at that time it was like, I'm going to put it on YouTube. How many followers you got? Seven. Cool. Yeah. That's cool. Like, and to now watch the rapid growth of people um, on the digital world, be it, be it on YouTube, Instagram, like all this stuff, like even on Instagram, not as much on Instagram because they limit what you can show. But like mm-hmm. there's certain platforms that you can, if you have great content and a great personality, it's it's not like it was when I originally started and in, in to get into linear to where you had to pay for the airtime and do all this stuff. Like 
think guys would go out right in their backyard right now if they got the personality and and good deer or whatever it is in the area. I mean, they can they can grow a following fairly quickly. Right. For sure. And if they're smart about what content they put up there that hits on certain things that people are searching or yep. events or things like that, man, it can it can catapult, right? I exactly. mean, it, it's it's so crazy. And I think that's where, um, you know, TV, you know, I, I, I never want to knock on TV because there's always like a, a place for it. Yep, right. There is, 100%. And, and it's it's always so good to be able to like okay I'm invested in this show and it's great content it's a, a great story and I want to watch it you know all the way through to the end and yeah but TV has changed to where it's like everything is on demand right we're yep. just this busy busy world that I want to go out and watch what I want when I have the 25 minutes that I have to watch it right and. I don't want to be limited to uh, a guide, right? And mm-hmm. say, okay, well, it comes on in 45 minutes. Well, what am I going to do till then, right? Yep. Or So there's that. And then I think, you know, what YouTube, what social media did was it allowed people to not only watch that content whenever they wanted to, but if they liked it, they told the person, right? They, they, they commented, inter- they liked it, they shared it. Yeah. Interact. I it, can send it to a friend. Look at this. Yes. Watch this. That's awesome. Now, now all three are interacting. You have this conversation going on and in the, like, I look at the good content providers truly listen to what the comments are, right? Like if you want to grow, mm-hmm. people will say, man, I love this. Want to see right. more, ask a question, keep, keep like, keep it going. And then you've, you, you got your base, right. And that base keeps going mm-hmm. and growing and growing. Now I, I like, we touched on a little bit, like if something breaks, you can Google it on YouTube. I think the guys that are, are doing really good on YouTube in the industry right now are doing a, a ton of how to stuff, right? Like oh, yeah. learning, like I, Chris B amazing mm-hmm. with his bow. Like I tell everybody amazing archer, right? Stupid. He does all these yeah. how to videos and I learn so much from him, right? Like you just, yeah. he breaks it down into detail and you have this growing base and let's face it, it it's it's the guys don't want to ask for help, right? Like it's really tough to walk into an archery shop. Like how many archery shops have you been in in your life? And you Mm. walk in there (laughs) and well, these guys have been doing it for 30 years and you get intimidated to ask them a simple question. There's a handful of like, there's some people that just don't care. They'll ask, but the, the majority of the people like they'll ask, they'll hint at some questions, but they may have like 30 questions right? That they Mm -hmm. really want to answer, but they're not going to ask them all at the same time because they don't want to sound like they don't know, or they don't want to sound stupid. They're just afraid to ask to where they can go on YouTube and watch these videos and learn as you go. Right. Right. And there's something commendable, a person who does it on YouTube and says, Hey, I'm not an expert, right? I'm trying to figure it out. And I'm going to share with you what I am figuring out. Mm -hmm. Right. And when they, when they show you that you're like, Oh, well shoot. Yeah, that was pretty easy. Well, thank you for sharing that with me and your experience. And then you subscribe because you're like, well, if that person creates another piece of content that I like, or I engage with, man, he might help me out with a problem that I'm going to have in the future. Right. And so it's, it's just, it's really cool. Um, and it does have its downfalls here and there, but at the same time, it's, it's, it's really changed the way people interact. And, um, you know, I think of some, you know, some 
some guys that I worked with early Midwest Whitetail because, you know, uh, Bill Winky had like this program, right? He wanted to build up and educate these younger guys to be able to send them out there to brands and not only have these great connections out there, but now all these other brands are being educated on what happened there. And so things just got better in the industry after that because so many guys were going to these different brands that knew what was up, knew this new age way of doing certain things. Mm -hmm. And so like guys like Aaron Warburton from the hunting public, um, Jared Mills, good friend of mine. Like I learned a lot from those guys, even, you know, Drew Yarkoski, which was like uh, a family friend of Bill Winkie's in that same area. And like, he's, he, he worked at Heartland Bowhunter, like it, and did a bunch of their amazing production pieces. So like you could go across the board and the people who went from there just did really cool things and are still doing amazing things. I think, you know, the hunting public's YouTube channel is, is huge now. And they, they're just a bunch of random guys, right. That like to hunt outdoors and that's what they show. Right. And they show you what happens and you can, you can interact with them and they're, they're fun and they're interesting. Right. So they're all really cool and it's cool to see where it's went. And the cool thing with them, it's not like, okay, so big deer obviously is a big draw, right? Those guys are just out, they're just out hunting. Like they don't, mm-hmm. they don't shoot big deer every single time, but they're out there explaining the experience to you. And what's yeah. well, like, they're, they're like, their page has to be one of the largest now, right? Like it's just grown like crazy. Oh yeah. It, it's cool. Cause they show, they show hunting camaraderie so different. Cause like, I think of like the, the downfall in the industry for a, a long time was, um, was this big buck craze, right? Yep, yep. It, it was this, um, man, I have to go out there and shoot a 145 inch deer, right? Yep. Because that's what everybody uh, is showing on TV. Otherwise right? I'm going to get and, ridiculed or whatever. Exactly. And you know, it went up and it did that peak and now it's starting to go back down to this more like it's about the hunt. It's about the experience, mm-hmm. the adventure, the friends that I have with me doing it that way and i i love that shift because you know there's who cares where you um where you came from if it's your first hunt your last hunt you know biggest deer smallest deer like we all want to have this great experience and share it with friends family you know share the meat share mm-hmm. the the adventure mm-hmm. and the stories and that camaraderie it, it's cool because you know, now I see it with what we do when I travel to any of our camps. Right. And it's like all these guys come into this one location and just want to have a good time, a good experience and enjoy what they're doing with each other. And that's, what's really cool about it. Yep. I love the camaraderie and the the camp aspect of hunting and how it's changed. Yep. A hundred percent. And I think you're seeing it a lot on video too. Um, and the hunting public guys do a, do a good job of this, right? Because they hunt so many different areas. Right. Deer, deer hunting in Michigan is not the same thing as deer hunting in Nebraska or, right. or specifically oh. Iowa or Kansas, right? Like, okay, if you're yeah. on a deer hunt in Iowa, your expectations for that deer size-wise are way above what it is hunting here in Michigan. 
Right. Just, it just is, right? Because Iowa, you, you're, they're, they, they limit and they handle their deer herd so much different than it is here in Michigan, and it, it is what it is. Now, 130-inch mm-hmm. deer here in Michigan is a great deer for where we're hunting right now. So I tell everybody, right. if I shoot a 130-inch deer here or a 140-inch deer here, it's like shooting a 180-inch deer in Iowa, right? In right. Iowa, right. if you hear guys that hunt there, they're like, yeah, I don't shoot 140s. I see a bunch of them, right? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, right. that's like a 100-inch deer here. Well, you see a bunch of them, yeah. you pass them, you do it, right? It's it's expectations for the areas that you're hunting in. And I probably yeah. see that more now just as doing part of this the the North American deer slam, right? It's bringing me to areas all over the place, down in Mexico, East Coast, West Coast, North, like all over the place. And the expectations are different depending on where you're at, just based on how the deer manage the size of the deer in that area. Um, mm-hmm. And there's so much that go into it. And I think like it's breaking that, that, that stigma of you didn't kill a 150 inch deer. Why would I even watch this? Right. Mm-hmm. Well, you right. killed a great deer for the area that you're hunting in and that deer is super smart. So how did you break that deer down? Because I hunt in a similar area to do that. Right. right? Like that's, that's the cool part. Like, I don't, I don't like, I, I don't like people getting hung up on size of animals right. and the thing. Like, if somebody, if somebody shoots a two hundred inch deer, that's phenomenal, right? There's only a handful of them that happen every single year, and and something phenomenal went in into that. That's great, but it's just as cool to shoot a hundred and forty inch deer in Michigan than it is to shoot a two hundred inch deer down in an area that that holds larger deer. Right. Yeah. For sure. Uh, yeah, that the the experience and how it all happened and the challenges that a person went into mm-hmm. trying to harvest that animal, like that's that's what it's all about, mm-hmm. right? That's the that's the cool part, I think. And yeah, I mean, I've been able to hunt in a lot of different states, and man, now my main state being Western Nebraska, hunting for deer, like. Uh, it is, it's so much different, like then tough, tough to find a tree out there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, it's, it's funny too. I was, I actually got out, um, out, uh, the first like real cold front that we had in October, I had a deer that was showing up and it was kind of like, I need to go into this area. It, the wind needs to be this certain type of thing, but there's no trees around. Uh-huh. I, it's a, it's yeah. a big, th- there's trees but they're, they're small. Like, and so I literally got up into this, I think it's like an elm that was that split into like three trunks in the middle. And I think I was pretty much off the ground, maybe like maybe nine feet. (laughs) And so it was like, it just gave me a little bit of an advantage to see a deer coming enough to know that I need to get ready. Uh But I had a good buck come in and, you know, like, everything else you know everything just has to come together for all that to happen and the doe that you know came downwind blew he got nervous and took off and it's just like you know how oh it's just trying to figure it all out is a part of that adventure and i I love that that's what's fun about it it's the the chess game that you're breaking down along the way right right? like you make one move they make one move and you just keep keep working the chessboard until it finally finally works out right yeah it's crazy and you know since midwest whitetail was like my my intro like i had 
Oh man, I, I had this good connection from from that, right? And that good Cabela's. And when I went to Cabela's, and that that's what brought me out west, right? And once I once I learned west and what all the opportunities and the beautiful landscapes mm-hmm. and everything and how close I was, man, whitetail hunting became this like I love to do it and it's really fun to do. But there's these grander adventures out there that I want to try to do and yep. and 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 take those challenge on, right? I still I still want to harvest a good bull elk, and I haven't done that, right? Um, but I'm like uh, the right place that I need to be for that to happen because I'm two and a half hours away, you know, from mountains in Wyoming, two and a half hours away from mountains in Colorado, and like those places are no better place to kill an elk, you know? So absolutely. Now, so after college, did you go right? Did you work full-time with Midwest Whitetail or how did the transition happen for you to get out to Cabela's? So I didn't have, I had a, in college, I had a football scholarship, right? But at at the NAIA level, it couldn't pay for everything. So I worked for Midwest Whitetail and was getting paid a small amount. Um, and so I worked all through college as much as I could. And when I left college, I went and got a job at Cabela's. It was the most entry level video production assistant job that I could. And that connection came from Midwest Whitetail. Whitetail had a sponsor at that time, which was Cabela's. So. I packed everything up that I had like the a couple days after I graduated and moved out here to Sydney, Nebraska and worked at the headquarters. And so, yeah, I mean, my first job, like real career job was like right out of college, straight to Cabela's. And, you know, it it was, it was awesome. Um, At that time, you know, Cabela's was, was really growing right there was a huge boom in the industry and so that's when i got brought on and at that time they had they had switched over from this very tv model right Mm -hmm. to um promoting their own products and internal video productions and building product videos and so i was i was kind of just brought up in that and you know fast forward six years i end up at the lowest position at Cabela's to basically six years later running all of their video productions department. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was just, just to see how it all changed the, the education that I learned and how it kind of grew to where I'm helping teach people that were hiring to do all these cool, you know, video projects and, and share it with customers, share it, etc right and you know the the it was tough um when bass pro bought cabela's Mm -hmm. after my like six years i was kind of like well i could probably stay on and i could probably go down to springfield right and be you know not too far from where i grew up in in missouri again but is your your family still there uh yeah so my like almost all of my family and even my wife's family is, is in that Missouri St. Louis, um, area. Okay. 
and uh we just were like man we just like the west so much and we wanted to stay out west but that was not really an option right they wanted everybody to move or you you almost have to you know find your own way yep and so i was like all right i'll find my own way and i ended up getting a job at bear archery um which was escalade sports owned um bear archery and a bunch of brands that are under this archery umbrella and so i went there and ran became a marketing manager because that's kind of the the progression right yep. you can you can do so much in the video industry and promoting video and if you want to go more than that right you're always going up to where marketing is yep. so it was kind of like all right well let's let's get into marketing so when i went there i learned so much in marketing right from we had seven different brands that we were all trying to promote and market and you know that's it's a manufacturer right so yep. you you have to sell into a cabela's which i had worked for and so i was able to learn marketing learn video learn content and how it kind of went and made that full circle around till today right now <laughs> what i do is just to educate people on and and do the best video project that we can and do it consistently mm -hmm. and so it it was really cool because you see the manufacturing side of things you see how to build a brand you see how to market a brand uh market to businesses you know market to with salesmen and all these different things and it really has helped me see so many different pictures and you know why i can help out with buck bourbon yep. and help out with wta and then help out with video productions content social media etc like it builds a whole package and a well-rounded person from a marketing perspective. How old were you when you uh, were in the marketing department at Bear? Oh man, that was 2000. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Gosh, I got to think about it. 26, 27. So pretty young to be in that position. Oh, actually, fairly, for sure. actually really young. Yeah, no, it was about as about as young as you could get. I mean, I think I was within the archery department. I think I had 10, I was 10 years younger or so than the next person that mm -hmm. was close to me in there, you know? And so it was, it was crazy because I'm, you know, I'm sitting in this big boardroom type area with, you know, CEO and CMO and these type of guys and they're, asking me you know hey jack how are we going to market this new product to the world you know we just came out with a new broadhead brand and we need to share it and it's like mm -hmm. 
I built this plan. Here you go. Right. Let's see if it works. And, you know, that's what's crazy about marketing is you really don't know that it works until you do something and then you change it. Right. And so, yeah, it, it's it was cool. And that was at a really young age. And yeah, I'm still still pretty darn young if you think about it. But it's amazing to see where it's gone. And it's had so many connections along yep. the way right i'm mm -hmm. so connected in the outdoor industry because you know if you do something here and you know you help somebody out here and you go over this way and you do a partnership with somebody and now you know them and you know their friend and you it, it's just in the hunting industry right it's very small very small um on the grand scheme of things but you you learn you learn to to make sure you can take care of everybody and you're not going to be able to take care of everyone, but if you do your best, like it can really, it can really pay off because somebody's going to help you out along the way. Right. That's, that's just what's going to happen. And I always try to do that with, with people that either I connect with on a personal level or have worked with in the past. It's like, let me know if you ever need anything. Right. And if they do need something, like I hope they reach out and when they do, I can help them steer them in the right direction to go because I was in that same shoe. Right. Yep, yep. And somebody helped me. So yeah, it's important. So as, as part of this, and you, you do a ton with the buck bourbon marketing and so forth. Like how fun has it been to see that brand grow over the last couple of years? You know, it's crazy. Like, cause when I first started, um, with that, it was, it was really, uh, Oh, Jack's saying some interesting things. Can he help us out here? And it's like, oh yeah, I mean, I can share some insights and kind of advise on what I would do here. And mm -hmm. then it's to this point where like, Jack, uh, can you just be more involved here and more involved here and more involved here? And as I did, I, I found, I was like, man, this brand, it, it hits on so many different things, right? Yep. It is a cool name. It hits on this boom of, the bourbon industry and where it's going and how like big that was. And then you have this connection to, uh, you know, camp, uh, hunt camp type feeling, right. Where you go into uh, a lodge and you hang out with a bunch of guys and yeah, you're going to drink a little bit and have a good time and you're going to go out and hunt the next day and shoot big deer. And it's yeah. like, well, shoot like that all really, works and you know so i i've loved seeing it i didn't think it would grow as big as it is but when you go and start landing retailers like tractor supply as like your main first big account yeah that doesn't it doesn't just happen right they see that wow this brand is interesting this brand could could do it right and you know so many people in the industry right there's this i call it the it factor Right. And so it's like this brand has an it factor because it could go somewhere and then the product works. Right. That's, so, that's, that's the key is that, okay, it's got a catchy name, catchy branding, catchy marketing. I'm going to try right. it. And when I try it, it actually works. Yeah. It, it's, it, it hits on everything. It really does. And it was just like this, um, almost like I call it a God thing, right? Where yep. you're like lays everything into place for this brand to have success. Mm -hmm. And 
it, it just did. And so we've really stick to that. Right. So if you see, I'm looking at, cause I got to take pictures of it, like top shelf seasoning. Right. And it's like, okay, top shelf, right. The top shelf bourbon is the best bourbon out there. Right. Yep. So we try to be very specific and deliberate with how we name products, how we market products, how we, um, package them. And I've always said, and what I learned at Bayer, um, Bear Archery and the archery brands when I was doing marketing there is like the best dollar that you can spend is on packaging. Because if you, if you can't get somebody to, you know, to look at your product on the shelf or, um, pick it up and touch it and feel it, like they're never going to bring it to the register and they're never going to use it to know how good it is. Mm. Right. So like, and when you think about, uh, a bag, we're talking about 40, 50 cents, right? Of an individual bag. Well, I can't spend 40 cents any better than at the packaging level from a marketing perspective anywhere else, right? 40 cents doesn't even buy me one click on pay-per-click campaigns through Google ads, right? Yep, so true, true. it's like at the product level, your packaging has got to be as good as it can get, right? Yep. So that's what's yeah, it, it's cool to see it change. And then even on top of that, the grassroots marketing um, has kind of come back. Uh, you know, it, it really was the only thing you could do before social media. Yep. Then social media came and you could do this advertising. You could do social media. You could do all of those things. And now it's kind of going back to where brands want to connect with the customer and get them to trust their brand. And there's no better way to be face to face with that. And that's what Buck Bourbon does, right? And that's why Salt River Outfitters was the catapult of it. When you run hundreds of guys through a camp and they all use that product, they see that it's worked, they're gonna go out and talk about that product. Yep. So it's, it's, a, it's just a win-win and it just continues to, to grow. And I mean, we keep making good products and we keep taking care of customers and we keep sharing these success stories out there. And it, it's cool to see people from East to West use our product and send us like, man, I've never seen this deer before. And it's the biggest deer I've ever seen. And I shot it in three days from when I put out Buck Bourbon, yep. right? And yep. so it's just so cool. Buck Bourbon has expanded its already amazing lineup of deer attractants to include 110 proof and barrel proof deer blocks. Also, their top shelf food plot seed blends have worked great here in Michigan and their new distiller cut knives are designed purposely for when the hunt ends and the work begins. Use promo code MVP15 for 15% off your next order at buckbourbon.com. That's MVP15 at buckbourbon.com. Rough Tough Custom Seat Covers are the roughest and toughest seat covers on the market. Their custom fit is second to none, not to mention all the options they have to match your active lifestyle. If you're an outdoorsman, their special ops package is a must and features rifle scabbard pockets that will hold two long guns, plus molly loops and a bunch of other pockets to organize all your gear. I just had a set installed in my new Toyota Tundra, and they look awesome. If you want to learn more about Rough Tough seat covers, go online and visit their website at www.roughtough.com. Worldwide Trophy Adventures is your ultimate outdoor connection. 
We all know that good hunting ground and great outfitters is becoming increasingly difficult to find. The only way to ensure access to the best area and outfitters is to spend a lot of time, money, and effort to research these destinations. Worldwide Trophy Adventures does this legwork for you at no charge. By booking your trip through WTA, you can rest assured that you'll be in a great location with a reputable outfitter that we have certified and endorsed. So if you're looking to book the trip of a lifetime, make sure to give the team at WTA a call at 1-800-755-8247 or check out their website at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com. No, those stories are awesome. And I'm starting to see like cruising through an airport, right? Somebody's got a Buck Bourbon shirt on and you're like, right. that's awesome. That's aw- yeah. It's awesome to awesome to see that. Um, and I think the products in the everything that that Buck Bourbon comes out with, like the knife, right? It fits the it fits the need. It's not the super expensive, but it's everything the super mm-hmm. expensive knife is built with everything you wish that super expensive knife had. Like I was, right. I was in the field in California filming this past week, and and somebody was using a, a competitor's knife, right? And the blade popped mm-hmm. off on him. I kid you not, four times, right? He's in there, mm-hmm. got blade popped off, and blade popped off, and blade popped off. And you're like, man, what is? You're like, how many people have dealt with that with the same with the same knife, right? Like the blade pops off. Well, yeah. the buck bourbon knife, you can't do that. It's more protective. And I'm like, listen, those razor blades are freaking sharp. You don't want that thing popping off and having to look for it or or while you're digging around in there. So you just came up with a yeah. with a knife that doesn't do it. And you're like, right, solid priced well just just yeah. a good product and then you put all the the marketing behind it and you're like man that's gonna kill it right and that's a, that's the cool thing about buck bourbon is you know george founder you know yourself me jay nesbitt on our team Lene Faringer, you know like we're all outdoors people yep. like so we're trying to answer that call because we've been out there and done it for so many times that we're like I don't want another broken blade in the rib cage of the deer while yeah. I'm trying to pull out the esophagus. Yep. Like that's, that's just not what I want to do because it's dangerous. Yep. And so let's, let's change that. Let's only make a product that we know is going to, um, answer all of those issues. And yeah, it's, yeah, it, it's cool to see. Um, and you know, we're obviously working on more products like that um and and i hope that we get to the finish line with some of them because some of them i'm very excited about because they will they'll help our products be more successful and then hunters are more successful because our products work and it's it's cool to see yeah no it's awesome like i go back to the the blind right anybody Mm -hmm. that's hunted out of a ground blind it's always the zipper, right? Like I gotta go out and yeah. have a zipper every single every single time. Like you just create a door that doesn't have a zipper. Super quiet. Right. Solve the issue. Right. And it's priced well. Yeah. Like I keep going back. And it's priced well. Like you look at it, it's price, it's not overpriced. It's priced well. You compare it to everything else. It's it's right in there. And what you're starting to see is people are buying the product because they believe in it now and they realize the value that comes from that product. That that's awesome. Right. I love the brand. I love everything. It's it it is. I love how it's growing like crazy. I love the recognition it's finally starting to get. Like it skyrocketed up into the top deer attractant sales in a year. Think about that. A year with no big giant yeah. marketing money behind it. No big corporation pushing it. it. Just did it because it worked. And and like I 
we may have a small marketing team at WTA, but <laughs> I would put our marketing team up against anybody because if you look at the experience that's behind it, that's what you keep oh, yeah. in place, right? Like we, you know how to spend a dollar wisely versus spend a hundred thousand dollars unwisely, right? Yeah. Oh, for sure. It 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 was it was weird, you know, when people because the the brand got so big, and so I was like the kind of tip of the spear. Like when we get emails, you know, we get solicited emails all the time of somebody like, "Hey, and I I want to promote your product," and I gotta tell them like, "Hey, I'm sorry, but like I don't need." the traditional marketing yeah and it's weird to say mm-hmm. but like when you've got good packaging when you've got a product that works when you have people out there using the product and talking about it and telling somebody about it like we don't have to spend marketing dollars to sell. and exactly. that's so like it right now it's like so unheard of like wait you don't have to buy ten thousand dollars worth of google ads every year to get your like no, no, I don't. I just need people to use it, and then it's over. You know, yep. it's, it's so un, it's so unheard of, and it was unheard of for me when I came over here. And I'm thinking, like, okay, we got to figure out this marketing budget. We got to figure out this marketing budget. And it's like, Jack, we're in the number one retailer. We're in the number two retailer. We're in the biggest retailer possible. We're going to reach all these people. We don't necessarily have to spend a ton of money. Let's let's put it in there, see what it does. If there's something we need to do later, then we'll then we'll shift it. And yep. it's like, okay, makes sense. And when it sells, it sells. It's just yeah, it's unheard of. Kind of an, an anomaly in what I kind of think out there mm-hmm. of the the market. So, for, yeah. for sure. Yeah. It's, it's cool. So, and go ahead. Oh, no, 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 you go ahead. So, when you're uh, a question, when you're going into um, switching subjects, editing of a digital episode, be it WTA or, or one for me and so forth, like what's your mindset when you go into it? What are you trying, what are you trying to <clears throat> capture at the end? Oh, man. Well, I mean, just like everything that they teach you in like communication, editing school, video production, you know, right. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end, you know, there's a, there's a rising action and then there's a climax and then there's a a resolution, et cetera. Right. So there's your, there's your story, right. From beginning to end. And it's like that, whether you're writing an article, writing a novel, editing a video, et cetera. Uh But what's changed is how people engage with the content that they right now so much of the the video i think about is like okay if i can't get people to click on it they can't watch the video yep so it's like thumbnail of your video from a youtube perspective is so important but what i want to do from the edit perspective is i want to engage them from second one to that payoff, right? That climax. And so I want to show it in a real uh, situation, how it actually happened. Um, because I think we, we just owe it to ourselves to be as true to the story. Um, we don't want to alter the adventure. Um, so that's what I always look at is, you know, I want to show it from the beginning to the end, how it actually happened. I want to try to be um, fun, energetic, um, 
bring as much personality into it as I can. And like the last one that I just ended edited, right. Was, was your daughter's hunt in Michigan on youth season. And like, you know, it, it's so raw and unfiltered there than our higher end production pieces that like, I love those even better because it's, you know, I, I've heard you say it on podcasts before. It's like, sometimes I don't go and watch my video again because I don't want that video to alter what really happened in my mind in the field. Yep. Yep. And like this one, like I hope it doesn't alter your vision of how it happened when you watch it because I tried to keep it how it actually happened. Right. I showed it from beginning to end the rifle, um, you know, shooting and practicing and then going out to the stand and the fun interactions that you have with your daughter mm-hmm. in the field are the ones that I want to enhance because I think other people need to see that stuff too. Mark's a real guy that is out there hunting with his daughter and enjoying God's creation and how it was intended to be. And they have fun doing it. Let's share that with somebody. Right. So that's what I want to do. Yeah. And so that, that's really my main goal, but you know, obviously there's, things along the way where you don't have this footage or, you know, a field producer, you know, camera went bad. And so he had to switch to this one. So he lost a little bit of translation in there. And so mm-hmm. you got to make up for those, but yeah, I just want to, I want to keep them engaged from a, a viewer engaged from beginning to end and then ask questions. Right. I mean, that's the coolest thing is if we can get somebody to comment on the video we've won the battle, right? We've got one person that was really engaged and now they're going to come back and watch more content because they liked it. Exactly. Yep. No, that's so that's great. Man. So what do you like for your hunting fall? Like just getting into it there in Nebraska. What is your, what does your typical fall look like for hunting? Oh man. Oh, I'm running about, 10 trail cameras right now because nothing out here is really patternable because the moment you think you have a deer coming to a water tank, the farmer takes his cattle out <laughs> and the water tanks off. And so now your deer's gone. Yep. Um, <laughs> the corn, you know, may come out here soon and that will change it all. It, it's just, it's crazy. Um, but the, the way that my fall looks is it, it's really neat because out here we can hunt so many different things um and so like my my season really started back in august when antelope season started i bought an antelope you know archery tag and around my house here right i've got a lot of dry crop fields and so antelope travel through here come and go and man they can travel a long distance out here really quick Mm -hmm. and so you never know what's going to really show up um so i've i've been hunting antelope with a bow since you know august and i will say they antelope with a bow in western nebraska probably got to be one of the most challenging things ever because there's nothing out here it's flat like if you've ever tried to stock up on a bedded antelope in a wheat stubble field yikes like you don't know i mean like it's 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 crazy and i never really wanted to like really hunt them over water hole but i'm finding that I pretty much have to, if I want to shoot one with a bow, because there's, it's just so hard. They, you know, their, their eyes are different than most other, um, ungulates and they, they can see like 180 degrees around them. It's crazy. But 
Um, so there's antelope season. Then um, if you're fortunate, right, to draw a um, an elk tag, you know, elk is, you know, starts in that August time frame into September. And then, you know, early September kind of starts and you can archery hunt deer and you can either archery hunt whitetail or mule deer because we have them both out here. So there's that. And then, you know, once deer season gets going, the middle of October, um, you know, where we're at now, um, northern parts of Nebraska have come into waterfowl season, right? So mm-hmm. you get you get duck um, and geese hunting coming through and, you know, with the Platte River and the South Platte River and everything there, like it's a mecca for waterfowl. Um, so it kind of switches over into this waterfowl thing. And then you got rifle deer. Uh, and I personally love um, Western Nebraska's muzzleloader season starts December 1st and man, if a deer has made it through rifle season, mm-hmm. they're so much easier to kill in muzzleloader season because there's not all this pressure, right? The, the temperatures just start to plummet and they're a slave to their stomach again, like yeah. they were in early season. So it's, a uh, that's my favorite season because if you have a good food source and they're coming to it, they're going to be frequent. You're going to have an opportunity if you can get into those ranges. And now, right, I mean, you think about it like a, a Gunworks muzzleloader. Like, I'd have no problem shooting a Gunworks muzzleloader out to 300 yards. Yep. No problem. No problem. So it's just uh, it. Now you're shooting a high-powered muzzleloader in one of the best times of season because they're so more pat so much more patternable then so it's like that's what i that's what i key on so i always buy a a, a muzzleloader deer tag um every year because it's like okay if a deer makes it through rifle season then he's way more killable yep. so you got that and then you know duck season and goose season go all the way until february ish and then we've got snow goose season going into the spring and then turkey season then after that. So it's, it's this, there's only really like three months out of the year that I can't um, hunt. And that's what's so awesome. So it is a great spot. And you, you live right there. Like I always heard the tags guys in the office, right? Like I live in Sydney, but I can hunt Wyoming, Colorado, and Kansas right. within an yep. hour and a half. Like get in there and, and and do that so like yeah we're elk hunting but they're elk hunting in three states right and they're antelope hunting in three states and they're mule deer hunting it's it's like it's a hidden gem for an outdoorsman to live Um, right i could i could could say that now it is flat i won't get me wrong it is flat (laughs) where you guys are at and they're not a lot of trees and the wind the wind blows and you guys like it was it was a joke for the first five years like every time i went there was a snowstorm like I'm heading there in May. <laughs> Snowstorm. That's great. Hail. Yeah. Whatever it, it is. Just I mean, it's crazy. Well, and if you I was watching something the other day on YouTube, and obviously YouTube, right? Me being so ingrained with it. But the the least amount of people per capita, right? From the Canada border to Mexico is where I live. Right? right? Like, oh yeah. Like there, so there's this. Uh, if you look at like the irrigation line, which is over by like Hershey, Cozad area of Nebraska before you get to Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And then you go all the way to um, like Cheyenne, Wyoming, that 
that area from north to south is the least amount of people like inhabited or, or living there than than anywhere else on the continent. Hmm. I did not know and, that. You know, so part of it is because, right, the, um, you know, the west storms hit the Rocky Mountains and then the Rocky Mountains, right, they absorb all that moisture, dump it on the snow, and then it has to start over again, right? And so before it can really build up, it's already got to Lincoln, Nebraska, east, and then then it's into the Midwest, rains and so on. And so, like, that's the least amount of rainfall. That's the least amount of people. But the animals from there to there is just north to south is just crazy. So it's, it's, I don't know. It's, it's interesting. And I think about those weird things, but so it's, it's pretty cool. I did. I guess there you go. I learned something today. That was it. How's the, how's the, how's the, how's the pheasant population looking out there this year? So it fluctuates out there. Uh, so, so bad. How was, how was the winter? How was the, the spring? Well, well, the winter was, crazy from a snow perspective we got more snow than we ever had but what was weird is like we transitioned into um you know spring and, and summer and we got great rain mm -hmm. well with great rain out here comes big storms and hail right yeah. and hail is not good on any bird population no. or any animal population at all really so i'm gonna say it's gonna be a very fair year um i've planted a few food plots and so on on my place that are specifically for, you know, bird cover. Yep. Right. And I've jumped, you know, just walking around and checking things. I've jumped up a few pheasant here and there. And, but I think it's going to be, a, I think it's going to be a tough year. Um, but not bad. I don't think it's going to be bad just because they probably were able to recuperate because they just had so much cover this year. Cause yeah. we were so, I mean, we're still a little bit green. We had our last rain, Oh, two, three weeks ago. And it was almost a half an inch. And it was like, well, that's wow. You know, we had some really good rains here and there. And so the grass, the grasses and just the overall CRP growth is good. So I would say it's just going to be fair this year from a, from a pheasant perspective. So, yeah. so it's like being a bird hunter, it's so fascinating. Like what a wild bird, like a pheasant has to put up with throughout the year. Especially living oh. in Nebraska. like, think about the weather they go through and the predators. Oh my gosh, that's where you're like, yeah. And, I mean, and, and if they catch a good, right? Every ten years, it seems like one year just is perfect. Light mm -hmm. winter, good spring, got the rain at the right time, no hail, everything, and their number just is booming all over the place. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it's like everything works wrong, and their numbers are are super low, yeah. and you don't see anything. It's just. It's a, it's amazing for me being a bird hunter to watch bird populations like that fight every year for what they have to. Like everybody, everybody thinks big game animals, right? Because it's a lot easier to see a whitetail or a mule deer or an elk, and you see mm -hmm. them more, and you see how habitat our habitat changes in the world and how it's affecting big game. But yeah, upland birds are affected so much more, right? So much mm -hmm. more by. Just when all of a sudden corn prices went up and, and you know what, there's, there's no, they just go right to the road now, right? There's no yeah. ditches anymore. Like everything's gone. You're just eating up their habitat here in Michigan for grouse, right? Like they, oh, yeah. they need woods and orchard lines and so forth to, to survive. And those are just shrinking down and down and down. And you watch how the, the birds are adapting into what they can to try to survive. Yeah. 
for sure. I mean, it, it, yeah, it's crazy. It, I mean, everybody's trying to get more for their dollar, right? Yep. And it just, it, it catalysts from the farmer whose production costs have skyrocketed oh. because he has to buy so much more feed. Just gone insane. To, yeah. Yeah. And so then he's like, well, I got to extend my boundaries. And so he takes the, the tree rows out and the tree rows are gone and the habitat's gone. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then he's like, well, shoot, I got to put more cattle on this area to be able to produce more meat and yeah. make more money there. And it's just like this. Oh, it just it, it really cycle. is tough. It's a it vicious, is a vicious, vicious cycle. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's crazy, crazy, crazy. But, you know, I think if some people do certain things, I think the game in parks and I think, you know, organizations that we support, you know, keep doing good stuff and provide good incentives and good alternatives to some of those farmers, some of those big landowners. Like, I think there's opportunities for sure, you know. Um, and you think of big ranchers who have, you know, thousands and thousands of acres. It's like, man, if you just did this here, like how that could catapult a, a pheasant population, a grouse population, et cetera. Like, oh, it'd be it'd be crazy to see what they could do. Yeah. Now, how is it? How is the like the little nook and cranny where you guys are there around there? How's the turkey population doing? So this last year, uh, this la this last spring the game of parks dropped the turkey tag limit. It used, it was three. So you could shoot three turkeys, um, last year, this spring, you could only shoot two. Okay. Now the, the population, like it's so different, right. From, from Lincoln to the Wyoming border, there is so much that changes across this state that it's really hard to like manage the state as a whole. Right. You kind of almost about to break it into sections yep. the way I think about it. But like last year, like in the winter, uh, yeah, last winter, like I saw some turkey populations that I had never seen before from a from a growth perspective. Like I was driving down to go to to take um, a few muzzleloader hunters out um, when I was guiding and they I saw a field that maybe had a thousand turkeys in it. Like no joke. Wow. I, I thought it was a flock of geese. I was, when I'm looking at it, I'm like, Oh, why, what is it? What is a flock of geese doing out here off of this table so far away from like the river? And then I got to look in and we got drove closer and I'm like, Oh my gosh, those are turkeys. Like it was unreal. And so I'm just thinking to myself, like, wait, did all of the turkeys in this whole Valley for the, the next 25 miles, you know, culminate onto this one spot and they're all hanging out together. And I'm like, I mean, maybe, but then I see turkeys, you know, three miles later and it's like, okay. But so I, I think that it's, it's just skewed. I think the population must be down mm -hmm. and I kind of attribute it to the, the small game side of things. People aren't trapping anymore, right? People no, aren't, yeah. um, they're not hunting small game because there's, there's no meat in it. There's mm. no fur population to sell with where fur trade was a long time ago and, and so on. So you've got more pred uh, predation out there that are eating turkey poults, you know, raiding nests, 
Same with pheasants, same with grouse, same with quail across there. If, if people don't go and, and trap and shoot coons and, and, you know, those type of things, like we're always going to have a tough year from a predation uh, perspective. But then you add on top of predation, you add weather changes and hail and all that stuff. Like it's just going to be hard. So I, I think there's just lots of changes in nature that happen with what we do on earth as humans. And we got to be careful about it. That we do. That so, we do. I, it's, it's good to see all the numbers. Cause I know like it's the weather that you guys have out there, everything fluctuates year to year so much because of the, the, the weather swings you have. Like we're pretty, right. pretty mild along the lake where I live here. So it's not like you don't have the big swings as it goes in and out of stuff. Right. For sure. We're so, I mean, we're so dependent on rainfall here. Like it's crazy. And I have like a, a rain gauge, um, on my place and ha- submit to, um, it's like the NRCS's thing. And you mm-hmm. can see and plot your rain gauge the day after it happens. Right. And other people do that the same way. And it's, it's like, man, we are so dependent on rain and crops are, and if the rain doesn't, if it doesn't rain or get enough rain, right, then the grass doesn't grow yep. and pheasant doesn't have cover, right? Mm-hmm. They can't they can't hide from a hailstorm that comes. They can't hide from, you know, predators. Like it's man, water out here is key. And that I will say, if you're if anybody's in like western Nebraska or any place else that has this water being key thing, putting up a water tank on your property for deer or all of the animals is probably the best thing that you can do. If they know they can have water all year round, Mm -hmm. that's better than any food plot. That's better than any, like anything out there because they have to have water. And so I'm working on mine. I want to build a, like a, a a windmill or a guzzler, right. That kind of takes care of itself. But I haven't got there yet, so I have to haul water and out to the back of my property. <laughs> that's so crazy because it's like flip from here in Michigan, right? Like no animal, no deer has to go more than 100 yards and they'll find a water source. Like a creek, a, right. a little pond, or just a water hole. or Like it's all over the place. Like I'm thinking about my property here. Like literally like 100 yards in any direction, they could have fresh water from, from <laughs> yeah. numerous sources, right? So then it's all food. So you're hunting them based off food. Out yeah. there, it's just it's the flip. That's that's what makes hunting great, right? It's different mm-hmm. every single place that you go. Even if it doesn't matter exactly. if it's one farm here to the farm that's right down the road, it's different. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep, that's why I love it. I love the challenge. For sure. Well, perfect. Yep. Thank you for your time today, Jack. I love catching up with you as always. Normally, it's just seeing each other in camp once or twice a year. Um, yeah. But, no, it's good. Hopefully, I, I get to see a picture of a deer you get this fall i'm gonna hit the road here in a couple of days i've been kind of on this deer quest myself so i I spent plenty of time chasing deer put it that way for sure yeah Yeah, i hope so too well thanks mark for having me on hopefully we can uh get on again and maybe talk about like different things that you know that we normally don't talk about on this podcast you know especially being you know editing all of these it's like man what if we did this what if we did that so if people have 
you know, ideas for us, like definitely send them to, you know, Mark's social media pages, et cetera. Like, let us know. We want to know what, what we should talk about. So I've got one. So I've got, so listeners, I I travel pretty aggressive in the fall and then I coach Mm -hmm. girls basketball and I just travel on the weekends, basically from then I coach my daughter's basketball team here and, and won't change that until she graduates. But I have a lot more time than to to do the podcast, right? And you can get more, you can get people lined up or multiple ones to line scheduled up. Like everybody knows how hard it is to get three people lined up on the same schedule to 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 do one for an hour and a half. One that I am a hundred percent going to do is we posted the video. Um, I think Julie did a a reel or something on Facebook, and I shot the the one I shot in my driveway last year with my crossbow. And mm-hmm. the argument that has been going on on that post between a couple individuals on a crossbow versus compound bow, dude, they're still coming. It's been three months. I, like, I'll give I, an alert on my phone, and they're still going back and forth at each other. I mean, just nonstop. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, man, when I get off the road, I'm going to light it up. I'm going to do a podcast with both those guys and act as a referee and have them just debate their points of crossbow <laughs> hunting versus compound hunting. And I'm like, it may get really nasty because I'm starting to see what they're posting. And then all of a sudden they'll be fine. And then all of a sudden they'll go at each other. But I mean, it's literally, they'll post four to five times every week on the same <sighs> thing going back and forth. Just, it's it's insane. And I'm like, I want to have these two guys hash it out. I just want to ha- have them yeah. talk. Yeah. Oh man. I think that, that that it is, it's crazy to think that that's out there because like you both have the same goal in mind, yep. I hope. Yep. And it's like, well, who cares sometimes? Like that's- Mark shot a great deer. I don't care what he shot it with. He harvested it legally, ethically, and you have an, the same end result, whether you shoot it with a gun or an atlatl. Yep. Like, you know, like, good job. That's where Well I, done. That's where I just, like, I just want to see how it goes, right? Like, you, know, yeah. you just, yeah. don't know any of the individuals. All I know is that they've been posting. I'm like, when we get enough time and I'm finally here, not traveling every, it seems like I've only been home, like, one day here, <laughs> two days here, three days. Like, this is a three-day stretch. This is a long stretch for me being at home right yeah. now. So it's like you can't arrange any any of those because there's so many working parts on it. But I can't wait to have some of that stuff. So as, as listeners listen to this, like if you have ideas like that, dude, throw them at us, right? Because we want we want to we we got a heck of a team. We can line that stuff up and and just go and do stuff that's different. That people want right. to hear that's different. Yeah. Like, for sure. Like I know you said the cool one was like the Jason Stone uh, lion attack yeah. that we did, right? Like that was cool. And you're like, man, we got five more people that have been attacked. And I'm like, man, I don't know anybody else that's been attacked by a lion. I don't like, <laughs> like if I did, <laughs> we can't recreate if, that. If, one. if I did, I would talk to them. But listen, most guys don't make yeah. it. So that's true, right? Yeah. yeah, you get attacked by something like that. Yeah, we might not be having you on the podcast. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> but no, it's like, in, in, like all this hearing him break down his story, right? Like that was cool. Yeah. Hearing him break it down and it was different. That got that got a bunch of feedback too. And and Limmer's yeah. about um when he was in the, the CIR and was getting attacked by the rebels and so forth. Like all of a sudden you'll have one you'll be talking and all of a sudden you get on that subject, right? And they like they want to move on. And I just keep asking because I'm like, holy smokes, this is so interesting. They're like, I don't want to talk about it. I'm like, that's cool. We're gonna keep talking about it. Yep. For sure. Well, cool. Cool, man. All right. Have a great one, Jack.
Thanks for all your support and downloads. If you like this episode, please go and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts as that always helps. Do you want to book that hunt of a lifetime? Then give the team at Worldwide Trophy Adventures a call at 1-800-346-8747. Or if you want to start a tags portfolio for those limited entry tags, call 1-800-755-8247. Enjoy your journey. 